Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Jazz and Sonic. I'm Sonia. I'm Jasmine. Yeah, that's Jasmine. And today, welcome to episode 40. Today, we're talking about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Jasmine, but we're talking about the earth, and I'm sure we both love the earth, right? I mean, that's my home. That is near and dear to my heart as well. That is home. Yeah, that's our home. Mm -hmm. It's the human's home for now. Um, But yeah, today we're going to be talking about climate change. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why, Why did you want to do this topic? Because, well, one, it was Earth Day recently, and two, we're in the midst of a climate crisis. And Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, it's talked about, actually, no, I feel like it's not talked about enough. Um, Where people know it's happening, but nothing is really being done. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess I feel like it gets drowned in the midst of all the other problems, you know? Yeah, because there's a shit ton, but... Anyways. Yeah, we're just fucked in all sectors of life. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So um should I get started? You should. Okay. Absolutely do okay. that. <laughs> okay, so essentially what climate change is is the change in usual weather found in, in a place. And so the backstory behind it is that. Earth naturally has like kind of these hot and cold periods. So the cold periods are called ice ages and the warm periods are called interglacials, something like that. But they last, you know, 100,000 years every cycle and the Earth's temperature tends to fluctuate during those times. So that's normal. But what climate change is, is what's unnormal about the fluctuation in Earth's temperature. So, um, yeah. Is unnormal a word? Did it? What did I say? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> no, just, um, I mean, maybe it is a word. Okay, it's um, an abnormal way of saying not normal. <laughs> see what I'm saying? <laughs> I, okay, I see Sorry. what you're saying. But anyway, so what climate change is looking at is the abnormal changes in temperature that our Earth is seeing today. Um, and so I feel like a lot, or the confusion is between climate change and weather. So those two are similar, but they're not twins. They're like sisters, right? So you can think of weather as kind of like your mood, but climate change as your personality. So let's say Jasmine, you're really angry one day and you're like, fuck this. You know what? (laughs) Well, right now I'm like, fuck you, Sonia, because when I was reading the notes for this episode, I knew that you would use me as an example and that the mood you would use was, why don't you just use happy? Because I just wanted, to, I just wanted to write down my notes, but yeah. So you're angry one day, yelling at a soccer ref for God knows what reason, um, and then the next day you're fine. So that's kind of like your weather, your mood. So just because you're angry that one day, that doesn't really tell me anything about your personality, and that goes for mm-hmm. climate change. So just because it's still warm in Saudi Arabia, that doesn't tell me anything about climate change. Um, So the day-to-day weather is not the same. So the climate is like the aggregation of weather. Exactly. It's the average of the temp, it's the average temperature of the earth um, throughout the year. Yeah, so basically there, the reason climate change is happening is because of humans. And what happens is that greenhouse gases get 
um, put into the atmosphere of the earth. So some of the greenhouse gases are CO2, methane, nitrous, and F gases. So CO2 is pretty common. I feel like everyone has heard it. Methane is what comes from animals. That's like pooping, not sorry. <laughs> Farting? Sorry, no, yeah. Methane is what comes from animals. It's basically when cows fart or burp. And methane is 28 times more uh, toxic than carbon dioxide. So that's why it's, it's, it's pretty dangerous. Um, and nitrous is, I think, fertilizer, F gases is uh, toxins that come from like refrigeration. Um, but that doesn't take up a lot of global uh, temperature rise. Um, and so the main sectors that kind of cause climate change is electricity. So how much people use on a day-to-day -day basis. So like what energy are we using? How long, how often do we use like the air conditioning or whatever? Um, 25, the other 25% is from food and land use. So that's like agriculture and whatnot. And the last is 14%, which is from transportation. So that's majority of it. That doesn't add up to 100, but it's majority. Um, and so the current state we're in with the climate is, is we're at a tipping point, let me tell you. <laughs> we're kind of we're, we're kind of not doing so well. So over the past like 100 years, uh, Earth's temperature has gone up by one degree Fahrenheit. And so one degree, you might think like that's not a lot. But if we look at it on an aggregate level, we've already seen kind of natural disasters come into place over the last 30 years. Um, and there was a study that was done that has said natural disasters caused by climate change has tripled in just the past 30 years. Um, and some of the you know disasters we hear on the news on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so like California always, every freaking like season at this point has like bushfires. Like that's mm -hmm. wasn't always the case. And same for Australia, they had wildfires. Um, and fun fact, well, actually not fun fact, but 25 million acres uh, were burned in Australia uh, during the wildfires. So that's the size of yeah. South Korea. Um, and all of this is happening, like I said, within the last 30 years. So that's what's abnormal about it. Um, besides bushfires, we've seen global sea level rise a couple, a couple centimeters. Um, but again, a couple of centimeters like really makes a big difference across the board because it exposes um, people's homes and people's like drinking water to like salt water and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And so communities that are underprivileged have to move and sometimes they don't have places to go. Um, and so United Nations has kind of estimated if we continue on this path, how much will it cost us per year? And so the estimate is 140 to 300 billion per year by 2030, if we continue to do this. And so a lot of developing countries can't afford that. Even a lot of developed countries, that's a huge cost. Um, on top of that, besides the effect to humans, um, a lot of the carbon dioxide gets absorbed into our ocean. And because of this, a lot of coral reefs have died and we've already lost 50%, 50%, half. Half That's of our insane. coral reefs have gone in the past 30 years. Um, and this is what happens at one degree rise in temperature. I mean, the environment is much like our human bodies. There's like, we, um, in order to survive, we need homeostasis, which is like a balance of um, not just temperature, but nutrients and things like that. And so when you say something like three centimeters, like people may think that's negligible, but if our internal body temperatures increase by one degree Fahrenheit, like that would be, we, our organs would fail. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we would all die. Exactly. So this happening to the environment is tragic. It's catastrophic. We don't have a planet B. Um, unless Elon Elon must, Elon must come to the <laughs> Elon rescue. Elon is coming to the rescue. Um, but yeah, no, it's terrible. And this is what happens at one degree C. And so what happens at two degrees C, which is honestly, we're on the course for that to raise the global temperature rise at two. Um, so sea levels will rise even more. And this exposes an extra 10 million people to impacts like flooding and saltwater getting into their drinking waters and them having to leave their homes when they might not have another place to go. So basically people will be kind of stranded in a sense. Um, the other thing that happens at two degrees C is that 1.5 to 2.5 million square kilometers of permafrost will thaw. And so what permafrost is, is kind of like the soil in the Arctic that's frozen. And so in the soil is carbon dioxide and methane. (laughs) So that shit gets released. Exactly. It gets released into the air. And not only are we putting carbon dioxide into the air, but now all this permafrost is putting carbon dioxide and methane into the air. So it's really like shooting ourselves in the foot, uh, which we're already doing. But and I just think of all the polar bears that end up They're going drowning. extinct. I hate to tell you, but they're definitely going <laughs> extinct. Um, and I know I said 50% of coral reefs have already died, but at 2 degrees C, 90% of coral reefs will die. So scuba diving will not be as fun anymore. Um, it'll just... <laughs> That's the main problem with coral, coral reefs dying. <laughs> no, but, um, but for me, like... You know, when you, whatever. Um, basically, coral reefs are more important than just looking at like pretty creatures underwater. So, coral reefs are very important to our ocean and they help protect the shoreline from erosion. And they act as like natural barriers. And I didn't know this, but they cancel out 97% of wave strengths. 97% are blocked by coral reefs. Like that's insane. That's when insane. I go, when I go into the ocean, I already get knocked down by waves. Like, going imagine... to the beach, going to the beach is going to become an extreme sport. Like yeah, only like... if you're strapped on. <laughs> like <laughs> you won't wild. be able to go to the beach anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's going to be tsunami do... central. Exactly, unfortunately. But yeah, it's going to be like surfing to school or whatever. But <laughs> on top of kind of them acting as like natural barriers, they also are kind of dubbed as the rainforest of the sea or the nursery of the sea. Um, And that's because when a lot of fish, um, so that's because um, a lot of fish kind of go there to grow up, you know, like we have nurseries as people growing up. And so in the ocean, that's the coral reefs. And so they provide a lot of nutrients for a ton of these ecosystems. And so, if that fails, we have no fish. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so the food chain. And yes. the food chain kind of just deteriorates over time. And then on top of losing our coral reefs, um, the quality of our food and the quantity won't be as good. Um, so like, for example, if I am trying to grow basil in my home and I need it to be a certain degree and it's always been this certain degree, it'll grow. But as we rise in temperature won't grow. So I won't have basil to eat anymore. Um, mm. And so that's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's like the domino effect. So crops, like we won't have food basically. Um, so if you don't care about the climate or the animals, you have to at least care about the food you're eating um, because climate change isn't just about animals. Um, mm-hmm. And so 
despite kind of these catastrophic impacts we are seeing on the world, um, I feel countries have failed to invest in renewables. Specifically the US, they've invested less than 2% of federal spending towards renewable energy and the military gets 54% for, mm. I don't know what war we're fighting. We should be fighting the war on climate change, but we're not. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what the US is like? It's like a white frat boy with privilege. Hell that privilege. All, all the white frat boy cares about is like drinking alcohol and doing drugs and like lifting weights at the gym, but only for upper body, like only so they can mm-hmm. show off their arms. And mm-hmm. their arms are the army. And I think that's a great analogy. So we should definitely keep that. <laughs> no, it's I'm like kidding. my but broken arm analogy, you know? No, but it's like, it's like the world is dying and 54% of the US of the US's federal spending goes towards the military. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty I don't know who's in charge of this budget, but I would love to talk to them. Um <laughs> because there are more important issues than just climate change obviously. Um but despite, you know, kind of seeing these events happen and people losing their homes from storms, like Texas had a huge storm, the US is burning every day. Um they choose to invest less yeah they choose to invest less and on top of that they provide government subsidies um to industries that cause climate change so one of them is the oil industry um and it's estimated that direct subsidies to fossil fuel industry total around 20 billion every year so not only are they causing climate change but they're paying for it as well Mm -hmm. um and because that's where the money is Exactly. Um, Cash is king. And on top of the oil industry, um, the world fishing industry gets 35 billion every year to support fishing because people have to eat. But oftentimes when you're fishing um, on these like big boats, like commercial fishing, um, there's a ton of fish that are unintentionally caught in fishing nets. And so what this call, what that is called is bycatch. So bycatch is when you unintentionally catch fish you're not looking for. Um, and so it's estimated that 40% of total catch is bycatch. So around 63 billion pounds of fish die every year um, from accidentally being caught in these nets. And the number could be much higher because we don't know how many fish die from just leaving fishing nets in the ocean. Um, so the number is probably really high. And yeah, on top of, you know, kind of all this, Greta Thunberg, who's was 15 years old at the time. Um, I think she made headwaves like a long time ago, but when she first started her strike for climate change, she was just kind of telling all the adults, like, I want you to panic. Like everyone is relying on the younger generation to fix things when we need to fix them now, we don't have time to wait. Um, And so she got invited to the climate summit in New York and she's from Sweden and she took a sail. to get, she sailed there um, from Sweden and it took her 15 days because she wanted to show if we want to live sustainably, sailing is going to have to be the only way Um, because aviation obviously produces so much carbon in the air and everyone flies all the time. And if you watch kind of like her documentary, the sailboat that she goes on is very small and light and it has to be because she wants to get there quickly. But there's no like, like luxurious bathroom or like really comfy beds. It's like almost kind of like bunk beds and like a blanket. And oftentimes she spent 
um, her time like on the deck of the boat. So she would always get wet from water because like it was splashing around. Um, mm -hmm. And she had to do that for 15 days. She was 15 at the time just to show people like what a crisis we are in and mm -hmm. nothing has been done. Like the message was that if we're not careful, like we're all gonna be have to having to sail to places. Yeah. <laughs> in these conditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's wild. The future is not so bad, <laughs> um, despite um, it looking a little grim. So essentially what scientists have come up with is that we need to reduce gas, uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030 and net zero by 2050. So what that means is that we need to break even on the amount of carbon we put into the air. And so countries will set these goals and they look great in press but oftentimes they ignore kind of the majority of the emissions. They kind of leave out these feedback loops for carbon. And so some of them say, we'll reach 50% um, by 2030 if we leave out the emissions from consumption of imported goods, aviation, shipping, and the burning of biomass. And so as you can imagine, those sectors combined already kind of contribute to around like 30%. Um, but these are some of the fastest growing sectors because imported goods, as more people continue to populate the earth, we have more goods. Same thing with aviation and flying. As more people populate the earth, we have more flying. Same with shipping and burning of biomass, which is kind of like deforestation. We need more land. And so they're kind of, in a sense, fudging the numbers, <laughs> which it sounds is... like a repeat, like fraud left and right everywhere. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they have kind of that set goal and they also have the Paris Climate Accord, um, which is kind of like this framework to keep countries accountable to hold the global temperature rise to 1.5 C. But, you know, like any kind of framework, there are gaps and a lot of the gaps are the same where they kind of ignore these feedback loops um, and there's no real sense of accountability for like countries that don't meet it, like how could you like you can't find them like at that point there's like nothing you can do that's kind of like i guess some of the laws there are major ones i've heard of that have been put in place um but the good news is humans can control our temperature rise so it wasn't like you know the dinosaurs where they literally couldn't predict the um asteroid who's gonna hit the earth and they'd all die but basically we know the science and we have the tools to do it and so the main thing is that currently our oceans absorb 65% of carbon that we put into the air. Um, and so that's a lot. And so seaweed, um, surprisingly, which has been around for decades, is a great absorber of carbon. Um, and so they're estimating that around 173 metric tons of carbon each year can be absorbed by seaweed, which is 173 like- 173 million metric tons. Right? Yeah, which, what did I say? <laughs> You said 173 metric tons. I was okay. like, that's not a lot. <laughs> but yeah, 170, basically seaweed can absorb um, as much as the annual emissions of the state of New York. Uh, and so that's a huge amount and we have seaweed. Like it's not like this new and breaking, renovate, innovating technology. Um, and on top of that, if you add 2% of seaweed into a cow's feed, it reduces their methane emissions from, you know, beef by as much as 82%. So if we feed them a little seaweed, it can take out a lot of carbon from the air. And the cows are gonna be so pissed. 
No, no, they like the seaweed. (laughs) Oh, they do? Yeah. There was you had a talk with them? No, they yeah. (laughs) They had a talk about this at um uh the company I work for. And I mean, think about only two percent of their feed. It's it's not gonna really disturb them that much. Yeah. Yeah. The guy said they liked it. But anyways, it's a lot less harmful than what we're doing now. Um, and so that kind of helps out with the oceans aspect of it. In terms of electricity, that accounts for 25% of global emissions. We have solar and we have wind and we have lithium ion batteries. And this is all, this isn't really new technology. But the great part about this is that since 2010, the cost of solar has dropped by 90%. So it's 10 to 15% year over year, and it's not even done dropping in price. So still continue to drop. Um, and as you know, price continues to drop, it becomes more, I guess, valuable or more enticing for people to buy. And so when more people buy things, you enter economies of scale. And so that drops the price even further. So basically economies of scale is saying, as you buy more, the price of the good will decrease over time just because of the sheer quantity. And so it's kind of like this loop. So the price of solar is already decreasing. And -hmm. because the price is decreasing, more people want to buy it. And because more people want to buy it, you enter economies of scale, which then increases the price. Yeah. Um, And so- Wait, you just said increases the price. I thought it decreases. Decreases, decreases, yeah. okay. okay. Um, And so basically it's gonna decrease in price and it said that solar is now the cheapest form of energy in the history of the planet, um, which is super cool because it's solar. We've had it for so long. It's not new. It's not hard to implement. And same with wind. Since 2010, the cost has dropped by around 50%. Um, and it said that offshore wind energy alone has the potential to generate 18 times today's demand for energy. Um, so not only can it give us the benchmark, it can do even more. And same, like with that, as the price decreases, it's going to become more enticing and economies of scale kicks in. Um, lithium ion batteries have kind of experienced the same thing. Since 2010, pre- prices have dropped by 95%, which is insane because that's only 10 years. Um, and fossil fuels haven't, like they're not evolving. They're going to stay the same. And if you take Tesla as, a, as an example, the range of their cars has increased over time with them barely changing the size of their car. So it's only going to get better is what a lot of people are saying. Some countries are kind of already adopting this. And so in Scotland, 90% of their energy is coming from renewables. Um, Not only that, but they were able to produce enough energy twice over. So not only hitting the benchmark, but doing it, but doubling it. So essentially they have more than enough and it's all renewable, like nothing, carbon went into the air like that's that's insane um and same for the uk they banned the sale of like new petrol and diesel vehicles starting in 2040 um so you can have gas cars but now it's kind of like a law to get like electric ones as they become like more affordable and whatnot um and then kind of the last thing in terms of farming and meat so farming kind of takes up a lot of land and that's why it's kind of harmful to the environment but there's something called vertical farming, which I don't know if you've heard of, but basically what it is is that you have these, you grow plants vertically instead of on the ground. You know what I'm talking about? So they're like in the air. (laughs) So like growing in like these, 
kind of like cabins. And what this does is it reduces the footprint to how much land you need. Not only that, but you can kind of trick the plants into thinking it's always going to be summer because you can control the light. And also you can control the amount of water, you can control pesticides, there are going to be no bugs in that area. So it's, it's a lot better. It's like, I have like this, like before I think what it is, is that a lot of times food is produced in like other places of the world. So let's say I'm producing food in Hawaii, but I need to ship it to Europe. And so if I have these vertical farms, like right in my city, I don't need to ship it anywhere. I can just right. go get it. So it reduces the shipping footprint as well. And from a meat standpoint, where all the methane is coming from, you can eat clean meat. Um, so it's like beyond meat, you know, impossible <laughs> meat, stuff Stuff I Meaning like to not eat. Not actual meat. Not actual meat. Um, but what's interesting is that they're doing lab-grown meat now. So what they do is they take... <laughs> Ew, if you guys saw my face. <laughs> what they do is they take cells from like chicken and they grow it in a lab so that it's it's uh, it's like chicken, <laughs> you know? Um, so mm-hmm. it's not hurting any animals. And in Singapore, they, um, they're doing this actually. They're selling chicken from chicken cells instead of actually, you know, killing the chickens. And it's insane. I want to throw up. Why? That just doesn't the sound thought good. Of it, it just sounds like that shouldn't happen. Yes, but it, but then you don't kill any chickens. So then what's the balance between like, you know how you're talking about vertical farming and all this stuff? Like what's the balance between people that want to eat organically and, you know, things like this where it's like very artificial? So like vertical, okay. So, so organically... It's kind of like organically just means without pesticides, without antibiotics, like without. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I yeah. But a lot of the times it's still the same case scenario where like you can get organic mangoes, but they didn't necessarily come from the U.S. They came from like India or whatever. So it takes. So when you're farming or you're importing goods like mangoes, a lot of the times what farmers will do is they'll try to maximize shelf life because they don't want the mangoes to go bad during transportation. And so even though it's organic, quote unquote, they won't do anything to it. They still do like same with cage-free eggs. They're not really cage-free. And so they maximize for shelf life instead of taste. So even though it's organic, it's not necessarily healthy for you because at the end of the day, if it's being imported from somewhere else, um, they're maximizing shelf life and they're not, it's not. So what, if they can't add anything to it, how do they go about keeping it organic and, but keeping it fresh? The vertical farming? No, no. I'm saying, you're saying a lot of organic food isn't actually organic. Mm-hmm. But the definition of organic is you're not adding antibiotics, you're not using pesticides, things like yeah. that, right? So then if my, let's say, organic apples are coming from Hungary or some shit. I don't know why I said Hungary of all places. <laughs> um, how... Like, is, is the only difference that they're shipping that shit fast before it goes bad or what? They're also, they also use, um, I guess, certain chemicals to keep it fresh in a sense. Doesn't so it's that, not, so it's not, organic. no, yeah, it's not organic. It's like cage free. So when they say cage free eggs, their chickens are not cage free. Hell no, that would cost way too much. Um, what they mean is cage free is that they'll put a little window um, to in the cages of the kitchen. 
chicken chicken <laughs> oh, the kitchen chicken um a lot of the like this is what happens in kind of the industry um so they label it that by technicality like it's not actually that right but they're able to label it that because they put a fucking window there yeah and same with the paris climate accord even though it says 1.5 c there are a lot of loopholes in kind of that framework and so you it looks like it's organic it looks like it's cage-free but it's it's not and that's like the sad part about it is that oftentimes I feel like climate change is kind of blamed on consumers. Like some vegans will say go vegan and people will say don't use plastic or don't use plastic straws when in reality my plastic straw isn't going to have as much impact as switching over to renewables or as like eating clean meat or like changing or like not producing plastic. Like I don't understand how all the blame goes to consumers well um, i think it's like it's the idea is that if you're not consuming it as much then they won't be producing it as much so like if fewer people are using plastic straws they're not going to be making plastic but you're right like i don't think that's the root of the issue but i have a question sonia mm-hmm. so i know you're a vegetarian let's say that you were not a veg- vegetarian like sonia of the past right that used to eat all the chickens all the cows all the salmon you know Mm -hmm. and you went to singapore and they're like here is this lab made chicken would you try it no (laughs) (laughs) why because because what i have now is good enough and i feel like past sonia at the time didn't know the amount of cruelty that went into producing meat no 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 but okay you're thinking of like i'm saying past Sonia given I'm just saying past Sonia because past Sonia ate okay. but I'm saying okay let's say Sonia the way you are now but okay. all of a sudden you're like actually I do want to have meat again I just want to have some okay. Chick-fil-A you know <laughs> eat a little chicken <laughs> and you're in Singapore would you do it <laughs> like okay if okay it's, no this is, let me let me reframe my question let's say you're you're handed some fried chicken and one of and that fried chicken is like a real chicken, like it grew up in a mm. farm, whatever, mm. versus fried chicken, but it was like lab made chicken. Mm. What would you pick? Um, like knowing what I know now, or are we talking about like not knowing, knowing anything? What, knowing what you know now. Oh, then yeah, lab lab grown for sure. Really? It wouldn't like gross <laughs> you out? No. Like my fucking chicken was in a petri dish or some shit. That uh, just doesn't sit right. No, with me. because the thing is, I feel like when you see the animal cruelty that goes on within chickens, you'll want to have lab grown because the places that they keep them in and how close they keep them and what they inject yeah. them with is just it, it's not good for chickens and it can't be good for us if we're eating it. And true, so true, true. oftentimes another stat is that. of the world's antibiotics um, are used on today's agriculture. And so that's not even saying that the chickens need it, is that it's saying that they know the chickens will get sick because of the conditions that they put them in. And they need the antibiotics to keep them from getting sick. And so it's- And you know, that's the cause of a lot of um, antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's what they're saying. There's a lot of runoff and it gets- into the ocean and then we eat the fish and then it's kind of like this endless cycle okay well so kind of moving not moving on but moving on to a kind of separate 
topic relating to the environment is environmental racism, which is a term that was coined by African-American civil rights leader Benjamin Chavez in 1982. And Sonia, you kind of you know what environmental racism is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's basically a form of systemic racism where communities of color are disproportionately and deliberately burdened with health hazards due to policies and practices that force them to live in proximity to sources of toxic waste. So like, Sonia, off the top of your head, what's an example of environmental racism that you can think of? Um, like that's been in the news. Um, so Flint, obviously, mm -hmm. I know there's a place in I think Mississippi, where there was kind of this recycling plant um, next to this underprivileged community and the people working there were also underprivileged. And in the recycling plant, they don't really give the people sorting through recycling any protection. So all the times the people in the plant would get hurt and they'd have to pay for it themselves, like their care and whatnot. Right, um, right. Yeah. So um, many of these problems face low-income communities as a whole, but something that I found interesting is that race is often a more reliable indicator of proximity to pollution, meaning that a rich Black person is more likely to be in an environment that is toxic to their health than a poor white person. So it's not even, it's not just socioeconomic, right? It's more race than it is that. So a landmark 2007 study by academic Dr. Robert Bullard, also known as the father of environmental justice, found race to be more important than socioeconomic status in predicting the location of the nation's commercial hazardous waste facilities. He proved that African-American children were five times more likely to have lead poisoning from proximity to waste than Caucasian children while even Black Americans making fifty to 60000 a year were more likely to live in polluted areas than their white counterparts making $10,000 a year. That's so, um, and then, so in the UK, meanwhile, a government report found that Black British children are exposed to up to 30% more air pollution than white children. So I wanted to talk kind of about Flint, Michigan. Um, so what happened is that in 2014, the city changed its water source to the Flint River in order to save money. In doing so, they failed to treat the new supply of water properly, exposing the city's 100,000 majority Black inhabitants to dangerous levels of lead from aging pipes and other contaminants like E. coli. And what this did is that between 6,000 to 12,000 kids drank tap water containing high levels of lead. And for those of you who don't know, lead is a neurotoxin. So it can like severely um, impair someone's neurological development. And when it's, you know, when it's adults, it's toxic. But when it's kids, it's like, um, it can literally cause it can kill death. them. Yeah. Yeah. I read about like, that. Mm -hmm. 12, 12 citizens actually of Flint, Michigan eventually died from Legionnaire's disease, which is a form of atypical pneumonia. So for 18 months, which is a year and a half, residents complained of bad smells and discolored water. So they knew some shit was fishy, right? They also had experienced hair loss and skin rashes. And all of those complaints were dismissed until eventually because of 
like the community's pressure, the city was forced to reconnect to its former supply and admit wrongdoing. But it's like, it's so insane that all of this was known. Like the water, it's not even like well hidden. The water is a different color. It smells like shit. People are getting sick and you're denying that there's a problem and all that just to save money. It's, in, it's actually insane. And mm-hmm. this isn't a developed country. This isn't the United States of America, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's actually insane. Anyways, other examples. Another population in the U.S. that suffers from environmental racism. Another minority population, obviously, is the indigenous population. So Native American communities continue to be subjected to large amounts of nuclear and other hazardous waste as corporations take advantage of weaker land laws. Decades of uranium mining on the land of the Navajo of New Mexico have caused longstanding problems in the community. From 1951 until 1971, the U.S. Public Health Service performed a massive uh, human medical experiment, which, by the way, like, as soon as I read that, I was like, human medical experiment like that already Uh, sounds sounds problematic. Yeah, right. And when you're doing a medical experiment on minorities, like we know how that's gone down. Um, anyways, on 4,000 Navajo uranium miners, allowing them to work without informing them of the effects of radiation. Like they knew that this was happening and they were just testing. Like they already knew that radiation can cause like lung cancer and other diseases, yet they let these people work in these conditions. The effects were predictable, making this human medical experiment extremely inhumane. Anyways, so because we kind of started as, you know, like our first, our first episode of this podcast was about living uh, abroad, growing up abroad, whatever. I also wanted to talk about environmental racism globally, because this is not just a U.S. problem, right? Globalization has increased the opportunity for environmental racism on an international scale. It refers to the dumping of pollutants such as e-waste on the global south where safety laws and environmental practices are more lax. More than 44 million tons of e-waste was generated globally in 2017, which averages to six kilos um, per person on the planet. And of that, each year, around 80% is exported to Asia. Um, There's a town in China called Guiyu. I'm probably butchering that, but... In this town, heaps of discarded computer parts are piled by the river and they contaminate the water supply with chemicals that, including copper and lead, that are toxic to humans. Um, Water samples showed lead levels 190 times higher than the World Health Organization's limits. So, you know, similar to what happened in Flint, Michigan, a lot of kids and adults are getting sick and dying. Um, other examples include the mass shipment of spent American batteries to Mexico, where illegal waste dumps from plants operated by American, European, and Japanese companies have resulted in soaring rates of anencephaly when babies are born without brains. Right. So it's like, what that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So what do they do? They die. so it's like women are being exposed to these toxins and whatever and men as well and they're you know getting pregnant and 
there are repercussions to these chemicals being in the air or being in the water, you know, and babies are born without brains. So what is being done? The environmental justice movement works to raise awareness of the plights of vulnerable populations through academic studies, media pressure campaigns, and public activism. Grassroots movements make use of social media along with civil disobedience and marches to make their views heard. The EU, also known as the European Union, where most documented cases of environmental racism, sorry, of environmental racism affect the Romani people, has funded initiatives, including the Environmental Justice Organization's Liabilities and Trade Project, which ran from 2011 to 2015. And it basically brought together scientists and policymakers from 20 countries across the world to advance the case of environmental justice. So basically all this is saying is like protests and raising awareness through social media and in person um, is basically what's being done by grassroots organizations and the government. As environmental laws tighten in developed countries, however, many fear that dumping activities will shift towards the global south. So it's known that developed countries tend to have tighter laws when it comes not just to environmental things, but other aspects of society as well. And um, developed countries kind of have the resources to tighten their laws. Um, but when this happens, the countries that haven't changed their laws um, and are not as developed as you know countries like the US or France or um, Japan end up getting screwed over. So something else with um, environmental racism that kind of connects to like current events is with COVID-19. So people that suffer from asthma and heart disease and other conditions are more predisposed to contracting or not contracting, but getting um, the coronavirus and it being lethal to them because they already have other comorbidities. So people that experience environmental racism um, racism are more likely to die from COVID-19. That's basically. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So <sighs> environmental racism is part of the broader picture of systemic racism, which must be fought to bring about a fair society. So, you know, like I think a lot of people think of current events and like current issues and they're mad about, you know, like black people getting killed, Asian people getting killed. Um, and different indigenous populations being um, killed as well. And, and for them, like for many people, myself included, that just seems more important than not using plastic, right? But when you really look at the issue of um, global warming and the environment, everything ties together. Like our society doesn't function as a bunch of individual issues. It's like one issue leads to another issue leads to another issue. And caring about the environment will allow for less disparity um, amongst like different populations in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of people are saying that the worse climate change gets, the worse the income inequality gap will kind of get as well. Because in developing countries, like I said, as the sea level rises, people don't have homes to go to. Whereas the right. US, maybe they can like fight back the issue somehow by building a freaking wall, I don't know what. Um, yeah, but it will just make it worse. And or moving to their other mansion in the yeah, state. like they won't care. 
you know yeah. they'll only care when it really kind of affects them I feel like right um and I feel like we won't see that until it's too late to act because we can't wait at two degrees c that's the point of no return like the earth is is great like our bodies you know they can kind of recover when we get sick but there are certain points when we get too old that okay our immune systems aren't as strong and naturally we just kind of like die but well I mean even before that like let's say as young like we're both 23 right Mm -hmm. our bodies are extremely resilient like we're healthy people whatever but drink a whole bottle of vodka and you're gonna get alcohol poisoning and you're probably gonna die you won't die exactly so it's like with the earth you know it's so remarkable how it can bounce back despite how much carbon we put into the air despite how much abuse how much abuse we're doing it can bounce back and chernobyl actually you know where the radioactive uh plant exploded Mm-hmm. there's there are animals there now like they're mm-hmm. living um right and it's amazing because the time... with like six legs <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> they're normal they're normal but the time it takes for four eyes bounce... <laughs> okay i'm done are you yep <laughs> but regardless the time it takes to bounce back or the earth <laughs> I'm just thinking about how fucked up these animals are with two tongues. <laughs> but regardless, the earth can bounce back if we let it. But if we go above 2C, like, there's no turning back, bro. Like, that's when... <laughs> that's you tell them, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> no, dude, it's actually insane. You know, there's... Yeah, dude. Just... <laughs> no, but I think in terms of like not using single-use plastics and things like that like yeah i think with um major lifestyle changes it doesn't happen overnight you know it's like little things you cut out and then you realize i don't even have that thing anymore so then you just stop altogether and then slowly like maybe i won't eat steak yeah and then yeah are you convinced no not at all (laughs) but no i could genuinely see myself doing that Okay, but that's the thing. Like, it shouldn't fall on the consumer to change. It should fall on these companies who have billions of dollars to use right. it for corporate social responsibility. Like, I don't yeah. have billions of dollars to pump back into the climate. Like, who right. am I? Who do I look to? Like, did you hear that Bill Gates and his wife are getting a divorce? I did. Wild. Should I go marry him? <laughs> I mean, honestly, you think you he's on a dating app? <laughs> not yet i feel like he's the type to like cry about it for a long time (laughs) (laughs) but anyways um sonia by the way for those of you who don't know is a vegetarian and i asked her why she doesn't go vegan you know because that's like the ultimate move for an environmental person and the reason is that she loves cheese too much so you guys hit sonia up and tell her it's time it's time to drop the cheese it is time to drop the cheese oh but anyways like you said individuals can help but the bulk of the the burden should fall more so on um like all these businesses like the oil industry and things like that yeah so not to say that you shouldn't do your part like stop fucking you know when people you know what actually pisses me off though like okay 
I, I know there are all these vegans that are like, oh, everyone should go vegan, whatever. That's not the most realistic thing, right? Because people are culturally, some cultures is like there's meat in every meal, whatever. People are used to doing what they do. But one thing that genuinely pisses me off is people that still throw trash out of their windows, like out of their car window or like throw gum on the ground and things like that. I'm like, no. That's no. just dumb, dumb. That's yeah, just like you're a dumb. dummy, dummy. <laughs> you're a dummy, dummy, and I'm that, going to get You're going to save the earth. <laughs> I'm going to get Red, mad and you don't want to see me, man. Green. <laughs> yep, Sonia knows what I'm like when I'm mad. But anyways. <laughs> don't so don't throw shit out your windows <laughs> and fucking cows stop farting <laughs> disgusting it shouldn't fall on the poor cows the cows are farting and burping too much don't blame the cow we eat too many cows oh wait actually speaking of i bought this like ribeye steaks from Costco. <laughs> would you eat but, if i it, mean like would you eat it if it was lab grown no I think I'd rather go vegetarian. No. (laughs) No, okay. You know what? We should include this in our episode about, I don't think, like, I think if I did go vegetarian, I wouldn't have fake meat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't understand trying to make something something that it's not. Like, if I want to just eat um, non-meat products, I'm going to eat non-meat products. I'm not going to eat ground beef that's actually made of mushrooms. You know what I'm saying? So you wait. So would you eat Beyond Meat? I mean, stuff? I've had Beyond Meat and it's pretty good. So <laughs> I sound like a hypocrite, <laughs> but generally speaking, when they try to make chicken out of I don't know what, like that just kind of grosses so, me out because it's never it's never that you know. Yeah, I see. And lab grown meat, I'm just like, I don't know, <laughs> like what's next? Like lab grown babies. Actually, that already exists. I feel like they're already cloned. Uh, anim- they're cloning animals now. Yeah, wait, what's that sheep, sheep called? Yeah. What's the sheep called? Didn't they have two heads or some shit? No, actually, it didn't no. have two heads. But it was it like infertile. Two heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, we're get- the thing is, though, like, you ha- you're at some point, if we don't make a change, you're going to have to eat the lab-grown stuff. No, I just won't eat meat. Oh, okay, okay. That- that's fine, Yeah. Too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just don't oh, okay. eat meat. But anyways, let's wrap up this episode. Thank you again um, for listening to us for the 40th time. 40 yes. episodes. And actually, we've seen an increase in listeners over the past couple of episodes. So keep it coming. Yep. I don't know what's going on, but we appreciate it. I'm not going to even question it, you know? No, don't question I'm going to assume it's intentional and not just like that people's fingers slipped. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna assume it's not me listening to the episode once. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, okay, anyway, I, I don't do that. Okay, anyways, anyways. <laughs> goodbye.